we learn how to be human by watching our human parents. So how they do relationship is how we learn to do relationship. And so you can either be the screaming, yelling one, or you could be the one that's shutting yourself down. We learn a lot from watching our caretakers. We learn how to love, we learn how to play, and we also learn how to fight. The mission of The Love Drive is to help people learn playful and practical ways to cultivate intimacy and to build love. Today's episode is less playful than it is practical because learning how to do conflict well while minimizing the amount of damage that conflict resolution can sometimes have on a relationship is incredibly important. And it's not anything that we're ever really taught, you know, outright. There's no conflict resolution 101 in school. Let's be honest, we could all use a little bit more relationship education. And so today, Ashley Miller is going to do just that. She's back. Ashley Miller is a psychotherapist practicing out of San Francisco, and she was previously on the show where we talked about sex addiction, what it is, and how you could recover from it. We're going to give you tips on how to resolve conflict without blowing up or without bottling up, which are two pretty common strategies of dealing with conflict. You'll learn why never going to bed angry isn't always the best policy. We'll touch on the importance of vulnerability in repairing your relationship after you've said or done something hurtful. And we'll touch on why you should never, ever ghost your therapist. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. Do you, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. My name is Ashley Miller, and I'm a psychotherapist in San Francisco. Welcome back. Thanks. It's nice to have you. It's good to be here. What are we talking about today? We are talking about how to skillfully do conflict with your partner, or anyone actually for that matter, that it doesn't have to be combat. It doesn't have to be an escalating fight. I want to help people learn to get to what's underneath the conflict. There's a cute little saying, mad is sad's bodyguard. Have you heard that? Mm -mm. It's like a cheesy little thing, but it's mad is sad's bodyguard. So the instant response is usually anger and frustration. And what's the hurt underneath? And if we can get to that, it typically goes better than uh, leading with the anger. You know, like in my own relationship, I don't know, like an ex-girlfriend will uh, call my boyfriend, let's say, and they're friends. I have a lot of trust with him. And, but my tendency is I can feel jealous and insecure. And so typically what happens is say, he says, Oh, I talked to so-and-so and I feel tight inside and I want to get cold and distance and do like a punishing thing. And so I watched this happen with me and he's pretty tuned in tune with me. So he'll say, uh, the energy just shifted or are you quiet? And I'll say, honestly, I'm like, I just have never loved someone this much. And this just brings a lot of fear in me because I love you. And, um, you know, it just brings up old stuff. Like my dad would do competition stuff with my sister and I. So 
I think that's probably where it stems from. But instead of me being like, I can't believe, why are you talking to her and creating this uh, drama? It's like, the reality is I love this person so much and I just, I'm afraid of losing him and it just makes me a little insecure. So what he says is, baby, you have nothing to worry about. I love you. I'm with you. And it ends it. I don't, it's like, it, it soothes that little kid in me that's so afraid of losing love. That's such a beautiful way of communicating. And what we're talking about is vulnerability, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that brings people closer together, much closer than a story that you tell yourself that isn't true. Yeah. I've done a lot of therapy and a lot of self-work. And so I feel like most of my work in therapy was my therapist teaching me. Like I would come in with this and be like, I can't believe someone called him. And he'd go, so talk to him about it. And I'd be like, no. And I wouldn't. And you know, it's like I literally had to be coached in or even with anger. Like being able to say, this situation makes me really angry. You know, I need like 10 minutes to cool down before I can speak to what's happening. Also a great strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned somewhere along the way that when there's conflict or like an emotionally charged situation between two people, there's this sort of desire to like really hammer it, like hammer it out right away. Yeah. When sometimes what one or both people need is a little bit of time to cool down and let emotion settle. And mm-hmm. that it's totally appropriate to say, sweetie, this is a very important conversation and I realize that and I'm not quite ready to talk about it. I'd like to take 30 minutes to go walk around the block and you know, is, is, that, is that okay? Yeah, and checking in about that because some, it depends on the couple and the people in the couple. Some people, their attachment style, they want to work it out right then and there and to tolerate any distance is overwhelming. And then there's another person on the other end that has to have space no matter what in order to cool down before they can come up with it. So as a couple, it's figuring out where you guys are at on the continuum. And so you guys can have a um, kind of a code word or a timeout to say, we will come back to it. What's a reasonable time? So it's already kind of agreed upon. Um, And then just, can I just give you a couple tips? Uh, I'm not open to tip, not open to tips right now. Not you personally. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Let's do some tips. Okay. So just a couple, um, I feel like basic stuff for any couple. If you're drinking and it's late at night, you're not going to resolve your relationship issues or any conflict. So you put that on pause no matter what. So if you're fighting over something, you get in a fight in the evening or, and you guys have had a couple drinks, you table it till the next day no matter what. Wow. I did not do that, by the way. We used. To <laughs> 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 I remember like screaming matches on the middle in the middle of Mission Street at yeah. like two in the morning, drunk. Yeah, and even it could be you guys have just had a couple glasses of wine at dinner, and you're talking about the kids, or you're, you know, talking about some heated issue. If you're tired, it never goes well. Like try to reason with a little kid that's tired. You're most likely going to tantrum. Right. On a scale of one to 10, if you're at a seven or eight in like anger and rage, wait till you're more at like a five or a six before you want to approach it. So that's the kind of cool down period. What about people that say never go to bed angry? I don't totally agree with that because I have had clients that have come in and said, you know, we are angry and we have the never go to bed angry. And so we stayed till three in the morning and just screamed and yelled all night long. And then more damaging things happen. 
Oh, and you're just fucking exhausted the next day. Totally. So you're an emotionally hungover. So I don't agree. It could just be like, I love you. I'm really angry and upset and hurt. And let's talk about this in the morning when we're both more our best selves. Because after some sleep, if you sleep, you'll have a clear head. You'll have some time to digest it a little bit. Yeah. The halt piece, H-A-L-T. Don't ever get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired and try to have a conflict mm. or a heated argument. Because it's you're not resourced. You're not your best self. You know, if you're any of those things, like I want to cry and have a meltdown if I'm overly tired. Right. So having an in-depth conversation about where this relationship's going, not a good idea. Finances. <laughs> finances, sex, not a great idea. I heard finances uh, is the number one source of relationship stress, even above infidelity. I've heard that actually. Must be true. Yes. So let's not talk finances today, Sean. Let's not talk finances, especially if we're halting. Yes. One of the most skillful things anyone can do in a relationship is repair. So it's not that I'm my best self and I'm like a therapist all the time in my relationship. I'll say stuff that's hurtful. I can be prickly, that sort of thing. The repair is the most important part. Being able to say, Hey, yesterday, you know what? I was being super judgmental and I just was in a bad mood and I'm sorry. It's repairing the wounding that happened. So in parents and therapist relationships and romantic relationships, that's how this works. And most of us growing up didn't have the repair. We didn't have a parent say, most of us didn't have a parent say, you know, like I screamed at you yesterday. I'm sorry. It wasn't about you. I just was overly tired. I've never heard that from my parents. Exactly. And if that happened, that would have been healing for you, for any of us. Yeah. Usually, like with my partner and I, we will do that. It's usually, it might take a day or two and realize like, I was kind of being a jerk yesterday. I'm sorry. That wasn't about you. Yeah. So owning when you've made a mistake is really important. You have to have the awareness that you made a mistake Mm -hmm. and not let your ego get in the way. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes my ego wants to protect my set, wants to protect me and make me feel big and powerful, and that I don't make yeah. mistakes and I don't apologize for them. Yeah. So when you do catch it, wow, I've been in my ego and I feel self righteous and I feel better than, and I'm right. I've done nothing wrong in this situation. I would question that. Like, what was my part in this? Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? Yeah, totally. I want to be happy. Mm-hmm. Also, I've realized that apologizing costs me nothing. Mm-hmm. And it does a lot for building intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's so much better to be able to get closer and repair with your partner than to be angry and kind of, I think, what happens for a lot of people. Because again, most of us, it wasn't modeled in our parental relationships or how we were raised is the way I, it was modeled in my family is like, you kind of just build resentment and you talk about the person behind their back. And then there's an explosion every two months or something. And then everything's fine. As opposed to like working through it skillfully. Also, I want to recognize that most of us didn't have great role models. And so we're going to fuck up. Yes. And it takes a lot of work. And I recognize the courage that it takes for people to 
admit that their role models weren't great and that they have some limitations in their conflict resolution styles. Mm-hmm. And and it's great when people are willing to do the work to absolutely lessen the impact. Most people that come to see me when I say, well, tell me about your parents or tell me about your childhood. Most people start off with like, oh, it was great. It was fine. Well, it's, of course, we're protective of our families. There are really great moments in families. And then there's really hard stuff. And each family has its own kind of um, culture around communication, anger, rage. So, you know, if you start to really look at and um, how does my family do anger? Is it everyone screams and yells all the time? Is it, it there was never anger? Everything was fine. No matter how loving a couple is, there's always going to be conflict because we're just humans. Right. It's how do we just work through it skillfully without causing damage to another person by shaming, blaming that person. And most of us don't get those tools and skills. So again, it, it's not about doing it perfectly. It's, it's working on yourself, being able to say like, oh, I totally blew up at that person. In my family, I was... I'm really overly sensitive. It's like, it's a bad thing that I'm too sensitive. And that that's, that's the big one. But basically it's, I have feelings and I pick up stuff and I have a hard time not seeing a lot. And so part of my work has been being able that actually being sensitive is a gift. It makes me a good therapist. It makes me a good partner. I can tune in when I've said something that I didn't realize may have hurt my partner's feelings and just go, Hey, did that hurt? I I didn't mean it that way. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you're listening and you haven't done therapy or you're thinking about therapy, I highly recommend it. But even just starting with like looking at your part, one tool that I give people that I used a lot and I still use is um, it's writing. So if an interaction happens with someone and I feel really angry I just let myself go for it. So I'm like, I'm angry at, and then I just rip the person a new one in the, in the letter. Like you're an asshole, you're da, 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 you know, I just go for it. And then after I empty so that I feel better, usually it's like a page or something. I'll say, I'm afraid that I'm unlovable. I'm afraid my family won't want to be with me anymore. I'm afraid I'm truly unlovable. Like it's getting to like, I feel angry, but it's really because some part of me a tender part has been hurt. So if you get to what you're afraid of, that can show some of the vulnerability. So when you go back to your partner or whoever saying, I was really angry because I created the story that, and I'll tell the story I created. Hmm. And I'll say, I don't know if it's true. I don't think it is. It just, I created it. But really, I'm afraid of X, Y, and Z. Beautiful. Thanks, John. Is that validation? Yeah, I appreciate it. I enjoy validating. And being validated. Yeah. I'm reminded of my first therapist. Well, not my first therapist. My first therapist was this uh, this guy named Neil who lived in Santa Cruz. And I, I can't really call him my therapist, but I was sort of an out-of-control teenager. And I was caught like breaking into people's houses and smoking pot and just being like a general nuisance because I was acting out, you know? Yeah. Uh, because that's what that's what I did, and so my parents went to set sent me to a therapist, and the, the therapist basically sent me on like a thirty day backpacking trip to like cure me or something. Wow, one session as, as opposed to being in relationship with another person and talking about your feelings, go isolate yourself and handle your emotions. Yeah, outward bound. Yeah, uh-huh. Colorado, go 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 hike, go hike, 
And uh, and I remember the Outward Bound was like, yeah, we don't fix kids here. This isn't, don't send us your broken children. So anyways, that's my first experience <laughs> with therapy. Like, we'll, we'll just leave that there. Um, my, my next experience is with a man named Dr. Jay Talkoff, who's in San Francisco, who I absolutely adore and, and who was instrumental in me getting sober. Great. And my girlfriend and I at the time, the one that we would have screaming matches in the middle of, you know, the mission, um, late at night. So you put both of us together in conflict and it was me yelling at her running. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it was perfect except for it didn't really do much for our relationship. Mm-hmm. So we went to see a couple's, a couple's counselor, therapist, found out that I had anger issues because I was mm-hmm. unable to express anger in a healthy way. And I didn't know that there was anything other than blind rage. So for me, it went from zero to 60. There was nothing in the middle. Yeah. And what I learned was that anger is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. It can go from like being mildly annoyed to flying off the handle. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that really, really stood out for me during this uh, this sort of time period with a therapist, he would say, you know, anger is okay. The question is how much and what do you do with it? Great. That's great. That's my $10,000 piece of advice for people <laughs> listening. I agree. A lot of people have parents that would scream and yell and have no self-awareness. So, we learn how to be human by watching our human parents. So how they do relationship is how we learn to do relationship. And so you can either be the screaming, yelling one, or you could be the one that's shutting yourself down. Mm. I tended to be the angry one as well. So I would scream and yell and throw things at my sister and just screaming. It was crazy. And then I swung to the other end where it was like, I just bottled it all in because that other way was so dysfunctional to me and hurtful. And so I started to do work on myself. And actually, one of my first therapists was this woman named Denise in the city. And she was like 10 minutes late one time or something, which when you go to therapy, most of the time your therapist is like on time. It's part of the frame in the container. Denise was always late. We always did the 50 minutes, but she was always late. And I'm a Virgo. I like to be on time. It would drive me crazy. And so I would sit in the waiting room and I'd be like, I cannot believe her. And I would just like internally be ripping her apart. Okay. So then I'd get into session, I'd be angry and I'd be silent. And she'd go, Are you angry with me? And I'd be like, No. <laughs> she'd go, You sound angry. I'm not angry. Right. And so she would go, Can you practice, Ashley, saying, Denise, I'm angry at you? And I would just start crying. I couldn't say it. Like my throat would tighten. Everything in me would tighten, tighten because I was so afraid to express anger. So it's like I really had to learn to speak to it and share. I was, I was so afraid of it because in my family, it's like you get angry and it's like you're too sensitive, you're overly emotional, get over it. Yeah, I know that script. Yeah. This isn't easy stuff, but I have to say, I think I'm closer in all my relationships because I've been able to speak to hurt feelings, speak to being angry. My MO is like I get quiet and then I want to silently punish someone by disappearing a little bit and being unavailable where I'm not answering messages as opposed to speaking up saying, hey, you relate. And it made me angry. I was really frustrated. So it's, it's a much 
easier way of moving through the world. I have a client right now that I'm working with that him and his partner scream and yell all the time. Like there's a lot of screaming and yelling and resentment that blows up over whether someone's done the dishes or whether whatever it would be. And so it's baby steps. It's being able to be like, okay, you feel that flash of rage and you just want to start screaming. You pause, you take three or four deep, slow breaths. The exhale needs to be longer than the inhale just to soothe your nervous system and give yourself a timeout. Like walk out of the house if you need to, blow some steam off, come back in and try to do it differently. So this client came in a few weeks ago and he had relapsed. And so his partner was so pissed. And typically what would happen is if he drank, the partner would be screaming and they would just blow up and scream for two or three hours. And he said, what happened is he walked in and the partner said, have you been drinking? And he said, yep. And the partner started to get in a little bit and he said, I'm sorry, I fucked up. And let's talk about this tomorrow. I'm struggling with alcoholism. And they went to bed and then the next day, like talked about it. And he said, I'm going to go see Ashley. I'm going to talk about AA and what my next steps are. I I clearly have a problem because I made a commitment to not drink and I wasn't able to stop. Right. That's a very different thing than 10 years of screaming and yelling. Screaming and yelling feels really good. Mm -hmm. And it's really- temporarily. Yes. Yeah. No, it also feels terrible. But yeah, temporarily it feels good and it's really easy to fall into just Mm -hmm. a screaming match. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It releases something. Absolutely. My personal opinion is that I think we have, we carry a lot of pain, we carry a lot of trauma. And so anytime we can get that rage out and try to displace some of all that stuff onto somebody else, it does feel good temporarily. Typically, you get into a ton of shame and regret and guilt after, maybe the next day. Or you could be self-righteous and keep stirring the pot and building your case of why you were right. But most of my clients and people that I talk to that have big blowups, it's like, it feels awful. And I, you know, I haven't been able to talk to him or her in three days. And yeah. it, it, I think it does release something. But it's how do you do it more skillfully? So for me, I do a ton of writing. Sometimes I just write like a big screaming letter at somebody. And then I fold it up and I'm like, universe, God, higher power. What it is, if you don't have a spiritual uh, connection, it could just be like, thank you. And you rip it up. So I do that a lot. Or you put it in an envelope, you address it to them, you put a stamp (laughs) on it and you mail that fucking letter. (laughs) Yeah, that's really skillful. That would go over so well. I used to have a therapist that suggested writing, you know, and I'd be like, I'm not going to mail it. And they'd be like, whatever you do, don't mail it. It's just so you actually have a voice practicing speaking. I was kidding, everyone. Don't mail it. Yes. For people who don't know, (laughs) I like to kid. Hey, lovebirds, Uh, February is right around the corner, and that means Valentine's Day. 
And that means very bad Russell Stover's chocolate and extremely overpriced flowers. But I don't really care about that. What I care about is your love letters. So what I want to do is I want to start sharing love letters with listeners of The Love Drive. So if you have love letters that have been sent to you, or for some reason you have a draft of one that you've sent to somebody, or you're you're in a relationship with the people that you have sent love letters to back in the past, I invite you to share them with me so that I can share them with other people. Of course, they will stay anonymous. So if you have love letters that you are willing to share with me, then please do so. Contact me via Instagram at the Love Drive or via email Sean at thelovedrive.com. That's S-H-A-U-N. So I'm looking for all kinds of love letters. Uh, those notes that you used to send in high school, uh, love letters from people in long distance relationships. Maybe you found a box of your grandmother's love letters. Uh, correspondence that her and her husband would exchange while there was like a war going on. That would be amazing. So if you have love letters and you want to share share them with me, I invite you to please contact me at the Love Drive on Instagram or Sean at thelovedrive.com. We are talking with Ashley Miller. She is a psychotherapist practicing out of San Francisco. And we're talking about resolving conflict and how to resolve conflict in a vulnerable, loving, intimate way that will bring you closer to your partner. My name is Sean. This is The Love Drive. You know, there's this practice of, uh, it's called emotional release. And there are workshops and groups that practice this thing and where you basically like scream into a fucking pillow and punch the bed and you throw a solo tantrum to release some of that emotion that often just gets stuck in the body. Uh And so I think that what people are doing when they're screaming at each other is they're doing some form of emotional release, but they're taking it out on somebody else and creating damage. Yeah. Collateral damage uh, or actual damage, Mm -hmm. whatever the opposite of collateral direct damage Mm -hmm. where you could just go and bang on your bed and, and like scream into a pillow and, uh, I went. I did a workshop with one of my past guests, Frank Mondozi, about uh, some just shadow work, basically. And it and we accessed several ways of releasing, and that was one of them. I agree with some of that, and I've done it. I've sc- I've screamed and like I've sat in my car and just rah, screamed, right? And like that felt really good. So I've done stuff like that, right? Why are you laughing? Because you're like, I agree with some of it. And so I'm excited to hear which part of the second piece. Yeah. I think it's really important to be able to feel it, but also put words to what you're feeling. Because mm-hmm. I think there can be a disconnect. So you can scream and yell into a pillow and hit, you know, with a, a wiffle bat or whatever it is. Wiffle, what are they called? Uh, well, I think whiff, wiffle ball bat. Okay. But whatever. Some version of that, let's say, where you, it's soft and not a real baseball bat, okay. where you're hitting the bed and you're getting your uh, body to release. I think that's really good, especially for people that are super contained and tight, where it's like, maybe they don't have a voice and they're really afraid, you know, like to kind of get some of the anger out. I think that's really important. But it's also to be able to feel and speak to what you are experiencing is important. So I, I think there's two parts to that. 
because I could scream in my car, but I wasn't able to say like what I was so angry about. I didn't, I, it was like a disconnect for me. So yes, get it out of your body. And also what's actually happening for me. Yeah. I felt powerless. I'm angry. I can't control this. Whatever it would be. Basically creating awareness. Yes. Over why you're having this reaction. Yes. Instead of. And one thing I want to say too about it's okay to get help. Like, I actually think couples therapy is so helpful for people that struggle with trying to do things differently because I work with a lot of people that say their partners aren't interested in couples therapy and won't do it. So my client and I will be doing a ton of work on their end, but the partner has to do some work as well. So a lot of times clients will get frustrated because they're like, you know, he won't go to therapy. How, how can I work on myself more? It's like you can, but he actually needs some awareness of how he's responding to things. And so with couples therapy, I also want to say is that the old school model was like you go, you went when it was totally broken. So you've been in married 10 years or together a long time and you're basically on the brink of splitting up and then you go to a therapist. Great. But it's kind of like if you had a new car and you never serviced it for 10 years and then you went to the mechanic and said, fix this. It's a lot easier to get it serviced like every three months. So when my clients are getting engaged, moving in together, even if they're just kind of going through a rough patch, it's like go to a couple therapy sessions. See, get some tools around this, like service it so that you can kind of cruise along. You're going to get more like bang for your buck if you go earlier rather than later. If I could just have couples therapy like every two weeks with my non-existent partner, I would. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to make that part of our relationship. Totally agree. A workshop, an NVC workshop, so mm-hmm. it's tango once a month, therapy, <laughs> you know, like spice it up, do some do some healing work, even if it there's no pressing need for it. It's putting the relationship as a priority because most people get caught in work or family. And, and I understand that ideally a home is where it feels safe mm. and warm and a, a refuge <laughs> in a way. Yeah. And so if it's constantly bickering, you're constantly fighting, you're constantly just at each other, get some help. It, it's not worth it. There's a, saying, a term called um, hostile dependent relationships Mm. where they're dependent, but they're hostile. So no matter, there's nothing that can split them up. They're just constantly at each other, but they're depend like codependent on one another. You don't have to have that kind of relationship. You can do it differently. Mm. It sounds like a nightmare, hostile dependent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had a pretty uh, hostile relationship. I think I was hostile and dependent, and she was dismissive and dependent. And Dismissive how? Uh, she was like a classic avoidant okay. pu- push-pull. If it got too intense or too intimate, she would pull away. Okay. Um, she would always circle back. She was always late or would cancel at the last minute. Okay. And she lived in Oakland. I lived in San Francisco. Let's say we had a date at 7 o'clock. She would call at 7. She was like, hey, I'm going to be late. And I go, uh... You knew that at least a half an hour ago mm-hmm. because you haven't left yet. 
And it would drive me crazy. That would drive me crazy. It drove me crazy. I don't even know. I mean, we had issues from, we met at Burning Man, red flag number one. That doesn't necessarily mean that's true, but I get it. It was a red flag. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just something to be aware of. I would say yellow flag. Okay, yellow flag. Okay, keep going. So that that means we met in September, and by the end of October, I was already scribbling like furiously in my journal. Yeah. Red flag. Yes. Right. <laughs> and I would get so angry. But usually the first three months is like the yummy honeymoon phase. Man, it was it was that, and it was really stressful and yeah. And uh, full of conflict. And I would have these like tantrums alone and I would throw things, but I was always smart enough. This is a tip for everybody out there when you get angry and you want to throw something, throw a shirt mm-hmm. because it doesn't damage anything. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's also less satisfying than to like throw your cell phone across the room, but I just never felt the need to throw a cell phone uh-huh. because I feel like I'm going to need that really soon. Mm-hmm. Once you pull down and realize you need it. Yeah. The shirt, unfortunately it like flies about six feet and then it just kind of like falls to the ground. I want to add a little asterisk. Don't throw a shirt at your partner when you're alone. Yes. What yes. I was alone. And also um, I got so angry once that I ripped up the New York times. Wow. But As I was doing it, I like stopped and I pulled out the magazine insert because I like really wanted to read it later. Uh So it was mainly like business and sports got the brunt end of my anger and I kept style, the magazine, yeah, and maybe the arts and leisure section. (laughs) (laughs) So there was anger, but there was also forethought and like planning Uh and it wasn't total destruction. Uh Uh-huh. So these are my ways of dealing with anger in a fairly benign way. Mm-hmm. I'm a psychotherapist, so I clearly believe in therapy. And another benefit of doing therapy is most of the work is that your relationship with your therapist. People think you kind of go in and you just tell your problems and your therapist kind of gives you advice and fixes you. It's actually the relationship with your therapist. So being able to go in and say, I'm angry, or you said this thing and I didn't agree with it. Or like with my therapist, the one that I'm with now, he's fundamentally changed my life. I would say he's one of the most important people in my life. Mm. And because I uh, attached to him so much and trust him so much, and he's really reparenting me, I feel like when he would, if he said something that I thought would maybe judgmental or I interpreted as judgmental, being able to go in and say, I'm angry. And and I would be messy too. I would be blaming and shaming him. I'd be like, I cannot believe you said that. I mean, that's not skillful, right? And I'm a therapist and I would, I would kind of just be attacking him in a little way. And because it's his job and he's good at what he does, he works with it. And so I had the experience of being able to be angry and messy and kind of, kind of an asshole, to be honest. And have him unconditionally love me and not abandon me and stay with what I was feeling. And then we could repair it. He could say, I'm really sorry. I, I, I wasn't feeling judgmental. I was feeling more protective of you, but I could hear how you felt judged or whatever it would be. 
there was a period of time, I think I was angry at him for like two months and I would just go and I don't even know what it was about. And I would just go and I'd sit silent and stare at the floor and not even really talk to punish him. I'm wondering if now I'm doing therapy wrong because I don't have this kind of relationship with my therapist. This was, I feel like, after many years. Okay. I can't wait to get angry at my therapist. Have you ever been angry at your therapist? Not really. She called me an imposter once and I was like, motherfucker, who the fuck does she think she is? Did you say that? No. Because I kind of agreed with her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking that day you told me that you forgot about therapy like at one o'clock or something. And she said, oh, I have a three o'clock. You can come in. I forget the real time. but And you went in and she charged you for both sessions, which as a therapist, I wouldn't do that. That's not how I hold the container, but that's yeah. how she did. And she had said to you, you know, it's so that you respect me, basically. Right. I would be so pissed if I was the client. Yeah, I have money issues. So I was like, oh, th- this must be part of my money issues. You know, like I'll just accept this is probably how it works. It's fine. And That's my I bad. I think everyone has money issues. Of course. Sean. Yes, I know that. So I have a 48 hour cancellation policy. A lot of people don't like that. And it's whether they're sick or a last minute job thing comes up. It's like, it's, I just have a pretty consistent policy. Once in a while, I'll let it slide. Like if it's really, it feels right to do that. But I've had people just be angry and be like, I'm going to quit therapy. I mean, I think this is unreasonable. And being able to work out that anger with me and hopefully repair it, like to move through it and say, yeah, and you're disappointed in me. You're disappointed in my policy. Yeah. So no, you're not doing, I think you're doing great therapy actually from what you have shared with me. But I would encourage anyone when stuff comes up with their therapist, I think for three years I worked with this lady, Denise. I never brought up that it irritated me that she was late ever until I was boiling over and she had to address it with me. Right. Now, because after all the years of work and the kind of relational therapy I do with my own therapist, that's like my practice ground. Well, now I'm pissed at my therapist. (laughs) Now I hate her and I'm going to let her have it. Fuck her. I'm not doing therapy anymore. (laughs) I love my therapist. I think she's great. I think she is probably you know, like taking like mother's role or something in my life. Great. Yeah. One thing when you said, um, like screw her, I'm not going to therapy again kind of thing. I tell my clients that. So if I have a hard session with someone or if I, I work with addiction. So if I say to someone, I, I think you have a problem. Let's, you know, I want you to try AA or whatever it is. And I say, I can feel their anger and their disappointment or resentment because I'm pretty tuned in. So I can see that they're pissed at the end of the session. And I'll say, so if you leave and you feel really angry and you're kind of like, screw her, come back and tell me that. Don't just disappear. Don't, because that's old coping skills is disappearing and ghosting on your therapist is just however you are with your therapist, you're going to do that in relationships. Like your relationship patterns are going to show up with your therapist. So then they laugh and then they'll come in and say, you know, I actually was going to cancel and disappear. So I'm glad you said something. Mm. So I really encourage everyone that's doing this kind of work, just speak to what's going on for you. I'm excited for my next session. I know, me too. I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. Yeah, I feel angry. My therapist has been on vacation for two weeks over the holidays. 
I've got so much to fill her in. Like, so I, I started, uh, I went on like some dates with this, with this woman. Yeah. Are you still dating her? Uh, no, but I'm, okay. but I went on some other dates with a woman who has the same name. Oh, interesting. And so I'll have to go in there and be like, Hey, remember that woman? Forget her. Let's talk about this one. Same name. woman. Number two, woman. Number two. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting developments in my love life that I'm, uh, excited to share with her. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I was talking to this woman. And I go, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm gonna have to talk to my therapist about it. But gonna have yeah. to wait. Gonna have to wait a week. So it sounds like we talked a lot about anger, and we talked a lot about therapy and vulnerability. And vulnerability, and we talked about conflict. Yeah. So one th- one more thing, I just want to say about the vulnerability piece is whether you're fighting about the dishes someone being late, whatever the bicker, not helping around the house, whatever the bickering conflict is, see what's underneath it. See what I think of like, what's the belly of it or the meat of it? Like, is it, I don't feel important. I don't feel like you respect me. Uh, I feel like I'll never have someone who's going to help around the house. I don't know what it would be, but try to see what's deeper under that, under that surface layer content. That typically will uh, be really useful to get to resolving the conflict. Not that the dishes stuff doesn't go away. It's just that you're heard differently. Yeah. You know, an example's coming up. Um, this just actually happened, I think yesterday with my partner. Uh, he's a massage therapist as well as other things. And, um, a while ago, an ex-girlfriend asked for a massage and in the, maybe it was like a year ago, it happened and I didn't say anything, even though I was like fuming with resentment and fear. And, and so I just, it kind of came up with slightly, I know you had talked to her or something. And I just said, Hey, I, I want to make a request. I said, I'd like to ask that you don't massage her. And I said, partly it, the amount of managing I have to do around my fear. And it just is so overwhelming for me that, and if you're not willing to not massage her, that you actually talk to me before and let's check in to see if it feels okay. It, there's some wiggle room in it, but letting him know that it has a huge impact on me. I know it's my stuff. I just am not able to manage it. It's too much. And he said, of course. You know, So that's a very different way of approaching it as opposed to me getting angry or saying, you aren't allowed to. Yeah. It's, this is how it impacts me. Yeah. And I want to believe that people in relationship want to minimize the negative impacts on their partner. Yeah. I think it's incredibly important to feel that your partner's on your team that really wants the best for you and you want the best for them. It's not this compat- com- um, competitive, how can I get my share of whatever? It's you, you wish each other well, fundamentally. Yeah. I think that's so crucial in relationships. So just sort of kind of to recap a little bit, the top lines don't have fights when you're angry, lonely, tired, hungry, overwhelmed, under-resourced, you can put it on pause, try to get to the vulnerability. What's underneath all the anger and the resentment, what's really happening for you. Are you afraid you feel unimportant, you're afraid of losing the person, whatever it is, get to that piece. And that if you do, which you will, because you're human and none of us are skillful all the time, 
if you do erupt in anger or you say something hurtful, usually we have that pit in our stomach of like, I did something. Repair it. Own it the next day or that night. Hey, I'm sorry. That was uncalled for the way I raised my voice or with your kids, with your friends, with your family, with your partner. The repair is so critical in healthy relationships. I regret, I regret acting that way. Yes. Yes. I wish I'd acted differently. Yeah. And if you're in a volatile relationship or you're fighting and it's just you're in in it all the time, get help. So you can assess like most people are afraid of couples therapy. It can actually bring you closer and you have a more fulfilling relationship or it can point out, wow, this, this is actually toxic. And it'll make you a better person. Yes. Because you'll learn skills that you can apply in other areas of your life. 100%. It'll bleed out into your career, into your friendships, into your familial relationships. It's learning new tools that you haven't had before. If you've never played the piano and you bang around a couple of times, like if that's what you learned in your family, everyone bangs around on the piano, you're not going to ever learn to skillfully play. So it's like, go to a piano teacher, like go to a therapist, learn some new tools. I use the tennis analogy. Like if you've never played tennis before and you go show up at the court, you're going to suck. <laughs> yeah. But the more tennis you play, the better you'll get. Yeah. Like anything in life. So communication, self-awareness, all of it. Boom. Ta-da. Ta-da. Where can we find you? You can find me at ashleymillerwellness.com. Beautiful. And I have a professional Facebook page that is under the same name. And you're located in? I'm located in San Francisco. I'm going to be opening an office in Marin next year. Or I guess it is this year, 2019 at some point. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. It's going to be a good year. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. You're so welcome. Always a pleasure. I love doing these with you, Sean. The Love Drive is produced by me, Sean Galanos, with the help of Guilford Street Studios. To get detailed show notes about this episode or to find out more about The Love Drive, go to thelovedrive.com. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. 